So this morning, we're going to be continuing through our Advent series as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus the Christ, on January or December 25th. And so each Sunday, we thought what we would do is we're, this teaching series is called Jesus Among the People. And we're going to be looking at different encounters that Jesus had with normal people, just like you and me, to see what Jesus is like and to see how he impacted their lives and how he can still impact our lives today. And what we can learn about how to respond to Jesus by the response of those people. And today we're going to be looking at the life of Mary. We're going to be looking at three encounters that Mary had with Jesus. Now, maybe like me, you were wondering, why Mary? After all, there's really not that much written about her and about her relationship with Jesus in the Bible. There are other people who have, well, there's a lot more written. So I was wondering, Lord, why did you put this on our heart? to talk about Mary, to look at Mary's life. And as I thought about it, I realized, actually, it's very appropriate. Mary is a special person and had a special relationship with Jesus Christ. First of all, she's a woman, and it's wonderful and appropriate to hear her perspective as a woman and as a mother. If you think about it, and I didn't realize this until I started really thinking about it, do you realize that Mary is the first person in the New Testament to encounter Jesus? the Christ, right? We don't often think about that. And as a, as a husband and as a man, I'm so often oblivious. You know, like when we were pregnant, or see, even that statement, we were pregnant. When my wife was pregnant, <laughs> you know, and people ask, how you feel? I'm like, oh, you know, really? Not much. Maybe it's fear sometimes. Maybe I think about the money. My wife was feeling everything, right? Because our son was in her. I didn't really feel a lot till he was born and I saw him. And that's sort of when my relationship with him began. But her relationship began with him when he was still in her womb. And that's the way it was with Mary. Jesus impacted her life even then. And then when he was born, she was his mother. I mean, amazing. Nobody else had the relationship with Jesus that Mary had ever in history or ever will again. So I, I'm pretty excited to learn from the example of Mary and her relationship with Jesus. And I hope you are too. Before we go on, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the treasure of your word. It's filled with treasure upon treasure. The more we read it, the more we think about it, the more we dig into it, we discover such wonderful things. We ask you to speak to us this morning out of your treasure. Fill our hearts with your treasure. Help us to ponder it and reflect upon it. And leave this place sobered, filled with joy, filled with hope, encouraged, our minds set upon Jesus set upon heavenly things. Prepare our hearts to celebrate the coming of Jesus into our lives, into this world. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first encounter we're going to be looking at is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? 
And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, there's a lot in here, a lot we could talk about. But there's one thing in here that doesn't seem, well, there's one thing in here that doesn't seem to be in here. At first, Jesus, right? I thought we were looking at encounters with Mary and Jesus. Where's Jesus in here? How is Mary encountering Jesus in this story? Well, the reason is because the moment that the angel tells her that she's giving birth to Jesus, her whole life is turned upside down, right? In that moment, she encounters Jesus, even though he hasn't been born yet, even though he hasn't even been conceived yet. In that moment, her life is impacted by Jesus differently than anyone else ever. Imagine, imagine what it was like for her. She's there, maybe in her bedroom, in her house alone, and this angel appears to her. <laughs> Greetings, O favored one. It says in here that she was <laughs> greatly troubled at the saying. That's got to be like one of the biggest understatements in the world, right? Can you imagine you're in your house, maybe cooking, maybe about to go to bed, and all of a sudden an angel appears. And she was a Jewish woman, a devout Jewish woman. She understood through the scriptures. Angels didn't just appear to people randomly. When they appeared, it was because something big was about to happen. And God was asking something of someone, something huge, that would completely change their life. And so the angel had to assure her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mary. But then he tells her something which probably made her really afraid. You're going to be pregnant. Now, even if you're not Mary, even if you're not about to give birth to the Savior of the world, hearing those words, that can be terrifying, right? That can be overwhelming. Just hearing it, hearing from a doctor, seeing it in a pregnancy test, yes, positive, you're pregnant. For a woman, that changes everything. I've seen it in the life of my wife, and I've talked to other women. There are so many emotions that come with that moment and in the days following, right? Maybe you're hoping to have a child, and so this news is good news. You're excited. You can't wait to tell, to celebrate. Maybe you weren't expecting to have a child. This is a shock, one of the biggest shocks of your life. Maybe you don't want to have a child. And you're filled with sadness and grief and fear. And no matter what you were hoping for or expecting, th this announcement brings many fears, right? What will this mean for my life? What will this mean for my body? Will the pregnancy go well? Will the delivery go well? What will my child be like? Will they be healthy? What kind of mom will I be? Frankly, I don't know anything about being a mom. <laughs> if I'm honest, how can I do this? And then you add in all these other things that Mary had to deal with. Hello? Virgin birth? What is that? You can't go to a bookstore and find out, you know, what to expect when you're expecting a virgin birth. There's no such book. It doesn't happen. What in the world? What does this mean? And then she's thinking about it. Maybe in that moment, maybe it hits her a few days later. Wait a minute. What is Joseph going to think? My fiancé. I'm pregnant. I can't only hide that for so long. 
when he finds out, he's going to be sad. He's going to be angry. He's going to think, I was unfaithful to him. Will he even believe this? Imagine the fear she's feeling. And in, that, in the Jewish culture, if, if Joseph tells others that she's been unfaithful, she will be stoned to death. Add in that pressure, that fear. All this is going on in Mary's heart, in her life, in that moment, in the days to come. And all the hopes too, right? The hopes that come. As you, and, and, and even more so for her because she has been told that she's going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And as she starts thinking about it, it's awesome, it's amazing. But look how Mary responds. I love her response. I'm sure she had all these kinds of emotions. But what we were told is this. In that moment, and we see it in the days to follow, it says this in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let be to me according to your word. Wow. That is amazing, isn't it? What an amazing response. It wasn't a response of denial it wasn't a response of ignorance. She understood what was being asked of her, and she embraced it. She trusted God. Her response was a response of faith. She trusted that God was bigger than her and more powerful, and he could bring her through this, and he would help her. She trusted in his plan for her life. And you can see that several months later, when she's actually pregnant with Jesus, she actually sings about her pregnancy. I don't know how many of you have sung a song about your pregnancy, uh, but it's a beautiful song. It's called the Magnificat. We read about it a few verses later in chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary's response was one of faith. And, she, and her response was one of thankfulness. She magnified the Lord for what was happening. She rejoiced in God her Savior. Her spirit rejoiced. Because Mary understood what an amazing privilege she was being given. See, in her culture, Mary was basically a nobody. She was a woman in that culture. Very little thought was given to women. She was young, probably a teenager. She was poor. She was the lowest levels of society. She was a Jew, a religious minority in the Roman Empire. And she was from the town of Nazareth. Later on, somebody finds out that Jesus is from Nazareth, and he says, Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? <laughs> That's the kind of town it, it was and had the reputation for being. In history, she never would have been mentioned, never would have been recorded. But Mary saw and understood that God saw her, God loved her, and God had chosen to give her a favor that he has given to no one else ever in the history of the world. That's what that whole song is about. She, he had lifted her up above all the kings and queens and powerful and rich and famous people of the world forever. He had elevated her. He had granted her favor. Mary responded 
to Jesus by receiving him with faith. She literally received him into her body. You know, we talk about receive Jesus into your heart. She received him into her body by faith. And the same is true for us today, that Jesus brings the favor of God to those who receive him by faith. Jesus brings the favor of God to those who receive him by faith. One of my favorite passages talking about that is is found in John chapter 1. Speaking of Jesus, it says this in verses 10 through 13. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To all who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, believe he is the Lord, believe he is the Savior, and trust themselves to him, we gain the right to be called children of God. We are favored by God. We are favored with peace with God, the complete forgiveness of our sins. We are favored with a special relationship with God where 24-7 we have access to God as our Father. We can approach his throne, the Bible says, with confidence knowing that we will receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. We've been promised that he will hear our prayers and answer them in Jesus' name. And though we may not be favored to, like Mary, be Jesus' mother, to bear Jesus in our body and bring him into the world, we have, as his people, been favored with the privilege to bear his name and to bring him into the world as his representatives. Think about that for a moment. That is amazing that God would entrust that to us, to you and me, weak, flawed, messed up people. I can almost imagine looking over the world and saying, yeah, i got to find somebody, but Aziz, no, not him. Uh, no, not her. Uh, who, who can I find <laughs> that could represent Jesus? He's entrusted that to us. It's stunning if you think about it. One of my favorite passages that refers to that is in 1 John. It says this in chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And I love Mary's response. And I think we should emulate her response in this Advent season and beyond. So much of the time, we get our sense of worth from what the world tells us about ourselves. And maybe this morning you don't think you're worth anything. Or maybe you are deriving your worth from the letters after your name or in front of your name or your credentials. And those things are great and they do signify great things. But ultimately... How precious it is that we have been favored with the name of Jesus Christ above all things that this world offers. And we must not lose sight of that, whether in this Advent season or beyond. Let us, like Mary, be thankful for the favor that God has bestowed on us in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Let us magnify God our Savior. Let us afresh receive Jesus by faith into our lives. 
The next story we're going to look at is found nine months later. Jesus is born. And his parents can't find any place to have the birth. So they have to, Mary has to give birth to Jesus in a stable. And he's put in a, in a feeding trough of animals. And it says this in chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I love that line. I never understood that line till I became a dad. I never did. It's one of those lines which you just read a million times, you don't even think about it. And then, now I understand it. And I think those of you who are parents out there can understand it as well, right? Even if you're not, you've probably encountered parents. Parents can be kind of goofy, right? They're so excited about their children. Oh, my children took a step today. My child said, Dada, I must video it. I must put it on Facebook. I must tell everyone about it. <laughs> and, I mean, in the old days, you'd pull out, like, reams of photos. And now it's on your phone, and you're swiping. And, and the reality is that most people are somewhat excited about your children, but nowhere near as excited as you are, right? And you, as a parent, understand that all children are special and all children are cute, but you are convinced that your child is the most cute the most special. You know it down deep in your heart. And so whenever somebody comes along and says something to affirm that or confirm that, it fills your heart with joy, right? You're like, yeah, this is what I thought. This is what I've been saying. You know, and you're nudging your spouse. See, see, our child is going to be the president. Our child is going to be a doctor, our child, whatever. That's what parents are like because we cherish our children. They are so special to us. We have such hopes and dreams for them. And when someone comes along and affirms those or confirms those, it fills us with such joy, such excitement, such anticipation. I remember when uh, my youngest son uh, was in kindergarten, and I just thought he was adorable. And he would say the funniest things, and so cute. And, and I just loved talking to him, just to see what would happen, what, what he would say. Well, sometime later in the year, we met with the te his teacher, one of his teachers, there were many, and uh, having a parent-teacher conference. And they were talking to us, and they're saying he's doing great, and he's so smart, and all these things. And then she said, you know what? Normally, I wouldn't really tell a parent this, but I just can't help it. Your son is so funny. He is so cute. The things he says are just hilarious. We just never know what he's going to say, but we want to find out. So what we do as the teachers, we can't play favorites. So every day, we take turns. We take turns who gets to sit with Josiah at lunch. So we can ask him questions and just see what he will say. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I knew it. See, see, oh my gosh, they see it. It's so true. 
And I treasured those words in my heart. And I pondered them, like, what does this mean? Is he going to be a politician? Is he going to be a car salesman? Is he going to be a comedian? I don't know. Maybe he'll be a preacher. It's going to be something great. And I treasured those words, and I pondered them in my heart. And it was the same for Mary. You know, she had been announced this by an angel. After that, she met her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth confirmed that as well. And then Mary sings this song of praise. But still, that was it, an angel and her cousin. And in this moment, these shepherds come. And they have just heard from angels, a host of angels, that her son really is the Savior that has been promised. He has come to bring peace with God on the earth, the favor of God to all who will receive him. And her heart is thrilled. And she treasures those words in her heart. And it's the same for us today. As those who love Jesus Christ, as those who cherish Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ brings treasure to the hearts of those who cherish him. Treasure. As we, there's so much in the world that is negative about Jesus, or they just don't care about Jesus. But we know, right? We know how wonderful he is. We're so thankful to him for saving us. And when we hear words that affirm or confirm that how glorious and wonderful he is, it fills us with joy. It's treasure for our hearts. Where is this kind of treasure, you might ask? Well, one of the greatest places is in the Bible. One of my favorite passages about that is in Philippians chapter 2. And he's speaking about Jesus and, and his amazing humility and his love for us that he would come down on earth to die for us, to save us. And it says this in verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh man. There is coming a day when Jesus Christ will be revealed to the whole world. And no matter what, every person is going to have to bow their knee before him. And every tongue in heaven and earth is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Savior. How wonderful is that, right? It's treasure for our hearts. And like Mary, we ought to treasure that. We ought to ponder that. And it's so easy not to. It's so easy to get caught up in the news of the day or the hustle and bustle of the Advent season, and we lose sight of the treasure that has been given to us, this treasure of hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So like Mary, let's take time throughout the day, not get caught up in all those other things, but remember the treasure that we have in Jesus Christ, the day that is coming when he will be revealed in glory and we will be revealed with him as well. Going on in 1 John chapter 3, we read this, in verses 1 through 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Mary put her hope in Jesus. We can put our hope in Jesus. And as we do that, it fills us with joy and expectation and hope. It purifies our life. The third story I wanted to share with you occurs just moments later. Oh, actually, no, this occurs 40 days later. 40 days later, after Jesus is born, 
In Luke chapter 2, verses 22, starting in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now stop right there. Can you imagine how Mary and Joseph responded to this? Well, actually, we don't need to imagine. It's in the next verse. And his father and his mother marveled at what he said about him, about Jesus. They marveled. Isn't this just a continuation of what just happened a little bit ago? Right? 40 days previously? I'm sure Mary and Joseph treasured these words in their hearts. They're like, yeah, this is what we've been told. He's going to be the Savior. And not just to the Jewish people, but for all the people of the world. Wonderful news. Thank you, Simeon. You know, you can just imagine. Thank you, Simeon. Really appreciate that. Sharing that. But Simeon wasn't done. He shared something more. Something that probably wasn't as exciting for them to hear. In verses 34 and 35, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. It's written in parentheses in the Bible. Again, a little statement, easy to overlook. What is Simeon talking about here? Is he predicting that someday someone is going to kill Mary with a sword? No. In fact, we know that's not how she dies. What is he talking about? We understand because of the words right before it that this child is appointed for a sign that is opposed. Her son her precious baby who she was holding in her arms. Yes, he would be the savior of the world. Yes, he would be the king and bring peace to many. But her son would be opposed. Her son would suffer. He was talking about Jesus' suffering for us, Jesus' crucifixion. He was telling her and reminding her and pointing out to her that because her son would suffer, she would suffer as well. And in that moment, there is an encounter with Jesus that she is having. And it's also pointing to the encounter she will have 33 years later at the cross. As she stands at the foot of that cross and she sees her son. You know, other people are looking and they're seeing a criminal or a revolutionary or a savior or a prophet. But what does she see? She sees her son. And he's been beaten and whipped and driven through the streets, and a crown of thorns is placed on his head. His skin has been flayed from his body. He's put onto a cross. Nails are driven into his wrists and his feet. And he dies 
drowning on his own fluids. And she watches all of that. And although none of those things were happening to Mary, all those things were happening to Mary. And a soul was piercing her soul. A sword was piercing her soul. Why is that? It's because when we give birth to our children, we are connected to them forever. What they feel, we feel. When they are happy, we are happy. When they suffer, we suffer. It is the way of things. We love them so deeply. We're connected to them so deeply. And that is true for a father and even more for a mother. The same is true for us today. Jesus brings pain to the souls of those who love him. And at first, you may think, Aziz, why are you bringing this up? This is such a downer. This is supposed to be Christmas. When I talk about something joyful, until you realize something very important here. The reason that we feel Jesus' pain, as Mary did, is because we are connected to him. We have a relationship with him. The pain that we feel when Jesus feels pain is an indication of the love that we have with him and the connection that we have with him. Now you may be thinking, well, Aziz, how is it that, that Jesus is feeling pain? Yes, I understand he felt pain on the cross, but now? Isn't Jesus up in heaven? Yes, he's up in heaven. He still feels our pain and suffering. Jesus is God. He sees, he understands, he feels all the suffering in the world. And as Christians, as those who are connected to him, we feel that pain as well. When Christians suffer, Jesus feels pain. The Bible tells us that when Saul was persecuting the early church, Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus. He knocked him off his donkey and he said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who was Saul persecuting? He was persecuting the Christians, having them thrown in jail, beating them, having them killed. And in doing so, he was persecuting Jesus. And Jesus felt the pain of his people. And so when we, as his people today, see Christians being persecuted, we feel that pain as well. We feel the pain of sin. Jesus is grieved by sin and the sin in the world. We feel that pain as well. When I hear Jesus' name being dishonored, or treat it as just a swear word when someone stubs their toe or smashes their car or they're just upset about a football score or game. I feel sick to my stomach. You know, sometimes people know that I'm Christian and they, sometimes they apologize. They think I'm offended. I'm not offended. I'm sickened. It literally hurts me to hear Jesus' name being treated that way. The same way if someone mistreated the names of my children. It hurts it hurts when I see my own sin and how I am dishonoring Christ. And when other Christians sin as well, it grieves me. I feel that pain. And sometimes I find myself thinking, you know, maybe it'd be easier. Maybe it'd be easier if I stopped feeling that pain. You know, when we feel that pain, we're tempted to run, to hide, to dull that pain, to, to escape from it. And I think, wouldn't it be easier if I wasn't a Christian anymore? I think back to those days before I was a Christian. I didn't care about people swearing. You know, I joined right in. And it was kind of sometimes a little contest. Who could be the most elaborate? 
and colorful. It didn't bother me if Jesus' name was treated that way. Suffering? I didn't really care about suffering unless it was mine and maybe a few people who are close to me. I wasn't really that concerned. The persecution of Christians? Hello? That didn't even register on my, in my world. I lived fundamentally a selfish life. And so, yeah, I guess if I went back to that, maybe life would be a little easier. But would it be better? No, it would not be better. Because that pain that I'm feeling is the indication of the relationship I have with Jesus Christ. For me to turn away from that pain would mean turning away from Jesus. And how could I do that? Why would I do that? He is worth any pain that comes as part of a relationship with him. At one point, almost all of Jesus' disciples left him. And he turned to the few remaining. He said, what about you? Will you leave as well? And Peter said to him, Lord, where can we go? You have the words of life. And that is so true. Where could we go? I think of my own children and all the pain that we have felt as parents over the years through raising them ever since they've been little. There's always pain. My son recently, one of my sons, his girlfriend broke up with him. And as I heard him speak of the pain in his heart and how he missed her, I felt pain. As my oldest son told me about the stress he was feeling and the the. Just he doesn't know about his future and his worries. He's, he's in medical school and he's taking this big test this year. I felt stressed for him. I felt worry for him. Two weeks ago, my youngest son, he started throwing up blood. And we were like, what is going on? And in a moment, our lives changed. And I went from just sitting around, I don't even know what I was thinking about, to sheer terror and dismay. We had to call the ambulance, and we rushed him to the hospital. And I watched as they put IVs. They had to put two IVs in. They had to draw blood sometimes even outside of the IV. I watched him go through pain. He comes out of the medical procedure. He has a tube. They had to put a tube down his stomach to drain the blood. And I saw him and his discomfort and his frustration. And throughout all of this, there, in one sense, none of this was happening to me. Any of these things that are happening to my sons, none of them is happening to me. And yet, all of it was happening to me and my wife. And there were days where I could barely even speak about these things. I would just start weeping. And sometimes it would just hit me at random moments. The sadness, the fear, the stress. And if somebody had come along to me, even just in the last few days, and they said, Aziz, man, that's rough, that's rough, all that pain you're feeling... Hey, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. You can get rid of all that pain. I will take it all away. All you have to do is give up your children. What do you think? Would I even listen for a moment? No, I would not. I would not give up my pain. I would not give up my children. Because that pain indicates that I have that relationship with them, that I am their dad, that I love them. And I'm glad. Strangely enough, the pain leads me to gladness, leads me to joy. And I would not give them up. 
and I would not give up what comes with them. And the same is true for us today. Mary, look at Mary. Did Mary give up on Jesus? No. When she heard Simeon saying those words, you know, you could almost imagine she's going, what? Wait a minute. I mean, I was pretty excited about being the mother of the Savior of the world. That sounds great. You know, what, I mean, what mom wouldn't want, want to have a child who never disobeys, who does everything right, or gets straight A's, you know, on and on. It's like every mom's dream. <laughs> but now you're telling me that my son is going to suffer and die, and I'm going to suffer because of that? Okay, I did not sign up for this. I'm out of here. Mary could have done that, but she didn't. She didn't flee. She didn't give up on Jesus. Think about this for a moment. She embraced motherhood knowing the cross was coming. Like when we had our children, we didn't know all the suffering that would come, all the pain. We knew there would be some. She knew it, and yet she did not flee. She pressed into being a mom, into her relationship with Jesus. And let us do the same. When we are feeling that pain that Jesus feels, let us not run from it. Instead, like Mary, let us draw even closer to Jesus. Let us be thankful for that relationship that we have with him. And let us rejoice. And so this Advent season, I think it really is great for us to take some time to remember these lessons from Mary. That for those who receive Jesus by faith, for those who cherish him, for those who love him, Jesus brings the favor of God. He brings treasure for our hearts, the treasure of hope. And he brings the pain of love. So let's make sure this Advent and even beyond to be thankful for the favor that God has bestowed upon us, to take time to ponder the treasure that we have in Jesus Christ, and to rejoice in the love that we have with him that is indicated by that pain. Will you guys do that? Will you guys consider that? Will you guys think about it in these coming days? I want to close with these words again from 1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to be our Savior, the Savior of Mary, the Savior of all of us. We thank you so much for the favor you have bestowed on us through him. Help us to just afresh trust in Jesus and entrust our life to him, receive him fully into our hearts and our lives. Thank you for the treasure that we have for him, the future that we have. The Christmas story is not about just something in the past, but it's about something that's coming, the day when Jesus will be revealed in glory and we will be revealed with him. Help us to remember that and ponder that and treasure that in our hearts. And we thank you, strangely enough, even for the pain that comes from having a relationship with Jesus because that indicates how closely we're connected with him. Help us to embrace that, embrace that relationship with him even more, to treasure it. Thank you that we're so closely connected to Jesus that we feel what he feels. 
And Jesus, that you feel what we feel. We rejoice in that relationship. Help us this holiday season to rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen.